Kia ora, I'm Philippa Tolley. Welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. This time we head to India to explore ways of keeping wildlife and people safe. India's booming population and tourism industry and the ongoing drought are escalating contact and conflict between people and wildlife. Every year, hundreds of people and farm animals are killed or injured by tigers, elephants, sloth bears and wild boars, and crops are destroyed. But unlike other wildlife-rich countries like Africa, religious beliefs mean wild animals in India aren't hunted for food. Non-governmental organisations and the government are trying to find ways to keep villagers and their animals out of wildlife reserves and to discourage wildlife from attacking villagers. On harvest day in Kaziranga, in the northeast state of Assam, villagers dance in anticipation of abundant crops. Life is hard here. Drought in summer, floods during the rainy season. But today is about celebration. And before the dancing comes a ritualistic washing of the community's prized cows. They are brought to rivers covered in colourful and fragrant spices, which are then washed off. Cattle are invaluable in these rural villages, not as a food source, but for milk, transport and tilling the soil. Just metres away from many of these villages, seldom separated by more than a river or rickety old fence, are forests which are home to the wild animals tourists come to see on safari. So when a hungry or injured tiger or leopard from the forest kills a cow, the loss can be crippling for a family. I'm Lynn Freeman, and for this insight, I went to rural areas in central north and northeast India to find out about initiatives to reduce the potential conflict between people and wildlife. Training women in skills like sewing and weaving so they can make money for their families is one of the many initiatives to help villagers who pay a high price for living close to nature. The forests provide wood for fires and a source of grazing for farm stock, but it's a dangerous practice which is being discouraged. Dr Naveen Pandey is the Deputy Director and Veterinary Advisor for the Corbett Foundation, an NGO that's worked to reduce human-wildlife conflict in India since 1994. Dr Pandey's based in Kaziranga, home to one of the most popular wildlife reserves with tourists. He says strenuous efforts by the government and organisations like the foundation to save tigers in the wild are paying off. Out of all the tiger range countries, India holds maximum number of tigers because we have got vast territory, a very rich forest. We have got over 2,000 tigers now, as per the last census, uh, around 2,226 tigers. So if the government of India is giving so much of importance on on tiger conservation, then obviously the number of tigers will go up. Go up. And with the cat species, I mean, you, if you can protect the habitat, if you just give protection, then these species are bound to come back because they are good breeders. And being cats, they have got tendency to disperse. So you have to ensure connectivity of forests so that the growing number of tigers, they can disperse. And as I see in, in India, I mean, when the forest department makes management plans, they should be putting more emphasis on keeping the fact in mind that the growing number will disperse. So the management should focus on more on human-tiger conflict. But do higher tiger numbers automatically mean that people and their animals are more at risk of attacks? 
it would be premature to say that the conflict has already grown because of increased number of tiger population because we still we don't know what is the exact carrying capacity of a forest so i don't know when we will know whether we have crossed that threshold of carrying capacity but dispersal is basic instinct of cats and they are going to disperse so all dispersal can result into human tiger conflict if the corridors are not protected so because of a network of roads and rail lines already the habitats are fragmented uh, once these habitats are fragmented then the potential of uh, tiger human conflict will go very very high and if scientists they have come up with figures and which shows that the tiger numbers are increasing and as some agencies they want to double the number of tigers in next 10 15 years so if they are thinking about that then the the mitigating measures of human tiger conflict should be on the top of the list to do things i'm not quite sure if the government of india is very much prepared on this front uh, because to mitigate this problem there should be a very uh, sustained communication link between the government and the community or between the forest department and the community and uh, being in the field i see there is some deficit in this direction it's not just tigers habitats that are being squeezed out by road rail and building developments throughout india international charity elephant family is spending millions of dollars moving entire villages situated along elephant corridors as its creative director alexandra bose line explains uh, elephant highways basically the migratory routes which they continuously go through and it's been an issue of humans against elephants humans you know dispersing into their space and elephants getting stressed and coming through the houses the crops reading really an elephant kills a human every day and a human kills an elephant every day pretty much so we've uh, funded these corridors which uh, we move the local people just outside rehouse them give them you know help them grow their crops again and teach them you know how to live side by side with the elephants and the elephants have their space to move freely in the wild but they're all you know everyone's very willing to do it because they think you know everyone realized that this was a, an issue and everyone wants to live side by side and india actually has been absolutely amazing at doing it they're one of the one of the countries that have managed they have the biggest you know population of of wildlife um rhinos elephants tigers you name it and they've managed whilst having an expanding economy and, and growing population they've managed to actually live side by side with wildlife there's a huge respect for elephants in particular and i think that's why it's been a really difficult you know issue of the human elephant conflict you know when an elephant comes through tramples a house and and kills their livelihood as well as their families you know what are they supposed to do so it is this constant conflict but yes i think it does help that there is a sort of a deep respect of animals in that sense so the expanding road network means elephants and other wildlife are often seen crossing the roads and while most indian drivers instinctively swerve or brake for animals collisions are unavoidable On each of my 3 days in Corbett north of Delhi I saw elephants eating on the side of busy roads. Sydney stop traffic. One is facing us one is facing there and they are guarding the cow. Yeah. It's estimated up to 300 people a year are killed by elephants in India. Creative thinking is seeing some villages experiment with new crops like chilies which don't tantalize elephants taste buds but are just as valuable. and beehives are also being trialed because elephants don't like bees this man is charged with helping villagers in kaziranga to scare off unwanted elephant visitors his words are translated last year around 100 elephants visited 
hundred different elephant and five six elephants are like habitual raiders can i ask what damage they do yeah. Mainly pedifields are uh, sometimes destroyed, sometimes they damage a house, and also many times people get attacked when they just chase away these elephants. Sometimes they get killed also. They do this only to chase them away because they sow their seeds and they work very hard to earn their living out from those crops. Are elephants aggressive? He's saying that some uh, elephant's behavior is, uh, is different from others others are usually calm very docile and some are very much aggressive they uh, they get, don't get frightened from people and they are some problematic uh, animals so i wondered why they would destroy a house i understand them destroying a paddy field through trampling but i'm i'm curious as to why an elephant might destroy a house yeah uh, they destroy a house because they want sometimes Salt. The Corbett Foundation offers free vet care for villagers, especially when stock are attacked by the reserve's wildlife. It was national news when Dr Pandey saved the life of a Kaziranga farmer's cow after a wild boar ripped open her stomach. The surgery, performed outside, took a marathon six hours. Two years on, the farmer is still grateful. During the floods, his cow was tied to a post nearby and uh, a, suddenly a wild pig appears from nowhere and it pierced the stomach and cut open one foot. Everything was out. He said that he hasn't thought that it will survive but some uh, veterinarian from the Corvette had come and saved the cow. If he had lost the cow... How big a loss would that have been for him? He will be in loss of 20000 It's a great deal of money, yeah, isn't it? it's a great deal of money in this kind of village. Before the operation, it was suspected this farmer's village used to help poachers. Now they help the foundation to save wildlife. Poachers' main prey in this part of India are the rare one-horned rhinos, Despite the killings, the population is increasing by around 3% a year, which Dr Pandey attributes largely to the Forest Service's shoot-on-site policy. It is not a tool which is misused. It's uh, anti-poaching machinery to fight the poachers because as a couple of years ago we had lost 40-plus rhinos in one calendar year and now we are in the month of April and already we have lost seven rhinos in the first four months itself. So it's a very uh, worrying situation in Kaziranga. And there is shoot-at-sight order, which means that the forest guards, they can shoot poachers when they are confronted with them. And uh, see, the poachers, they come with uh, very modern weapons, uh, very powerful modern weapons, sometimes more powerful than our forest guards have. So if we follow the 
standard protocol wherein a soldier or a guard has to seek permission from his superior to shoot. By the time the poachers might have already shot the rhinos, it acts more like a deterrent. So the poachers, they know that they can be shot. So I think it works very well and I'll strongly recommend that other parks and other tiger reserves in this country, they should adopt this uh, measure, especially in central India where we are losing tigers. Uh, I was reading that uh, one tiger is lost every 10 days in central India, which is alarming actually. Uh, in spite of all the best intentions and efforts of the government, tiger poaching is a threat in central India and as well as rhino poaching is a big threat in northeast India. These Indian tourists in Kaziranga support the shoot-on-site policy. I guess that's because the uh, rhinoceros is endangered mm. and the poachers don't give up. I mean, there are a lot of poachers no, who are active in these... You should shoot to kill a poacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Give it back to them the way, uh, yeah. you know. I think I mean, more as a preventive no measure in the sense yeah. others learn their lessons. Yeah. If it's just being fined, I don't think it's no, going to make much make of a it. difference. If they know it's something more serious, then they probably would take heed, I guess, I don't know. And a lot of places you find that the uh, officials are involved as well. Despite the policy's success in deterring poachers, Dr Pandey says it's unlikely the hard line will be taken in other reserves. In many areas, farmers whose stock are killed by wildlife are entitled to government compensation, but it can take too long and involve too much paperwork. Corbett, several hours' drive north of Delhi, has the highest proportion of tigers in any of the nation's reserves. While it's generating substantial income from tourists desperate to see tigers and providing much-needed jobs for locals, people also have to deal with tiger attacks on villages and farm animals. In the event of an attack, the Corbett Foundation pays bridging compensation straight away to deter farmers from poisoning the tigers, leopards and other predators responsible. Dr. Harendra Singh Bagali heads the office in Corbett. So annually we are giving compensation for about 700 livestock. On the other hand, we are having very less number of human casualties, say five or six per year. How does the compensation scheme work? I know you get there very quickly. Yeah. We have a policy from the government side that says, you know, whenever there is some livestock damage, then government is going to give some compensation or excretion amount to the villagers. It doesn't work. It takes years to reimburse the money or to give the compensation amount to the villagers. So in that case, we know that they are not going to cooperate. They are not going to help in conservation initiatives. So we have been covering about 350 villages. And see, the best part of this scheme is that we have given assurance to the villagers. Whenever you suffer from livestock damage, you inform us and we will be coming to your place within 24 hours. So whenever there is any livestock killing by a tiger or leopard, we do the inspection of the kill, whether this is a genuine kill, and then we hand over interim relief at the spot. So we are satisfied and villagers, they are satisfied. Dr Bagali says there are also nomads who live in the heart of the national parks in this part of India, in core zones, the main areas for wildlife. They're being offered money to move out, to somewhere with better schools and job opportunities and more productive land with fewer predators. See the nomadic tribe that live inside the Kobe Tiger Reserve is known as Gujar. So traditionally they used to live inside the forest and they used to move from one forest to another forest along with their livestock and they were dependent on milk products 
एंड बाय सेलिंग देयर लाइफ स्टॉक बट ना विद द चेंज इन टाइम दे वॉन्ट टू हैव टी वी दे वॉन्ट टू हैव मोबाइल फोन नाउ न्यू जनरेशन दे वॉन्ट टू हैव दैट एंड एट द सेम टाइम दे वॉन्ट टू हैव एजुकेशन फॉर द न्यू जनरेशन सो इफ दे आर लिविंग डीप इन साइड द फॉरेस्ट हाउ कम इट इज पॉसिबल टू हैव द एजुकेशन और टू गिव एजुकेशन टू द नेक्स्ट जनरेशन हंड्रेड एंड एटी वन फैमिलीज हैव बीन रिलोकेटेड फ्रॉम द कोर्जन ऑफ द कोवर टाइगर रिजर्व टू समवेयर एल्स वॉलंटियरलीट गवर्नमेंट डिसाइडेड अबाउट द प्लेस दे एग्रीड फॉर द प्लेस एंड नाउ हंड्रेड एंड एटी वन फैमिलीज विच इज एज नंबर दे हैव लेट एंड नाउ द फॉरेस्ट हैज बिकम अनवायोलेट प्लेस इनवायोलेट फॉरेस्ट On the downside, they won't necessarily all move to the same place, meaning communities are being dispersed. But the lure of better education, meaning better prospects for children, is a huge driver for rural communities. <laughs> education is also a priority for NGOs wanting to get the next generation involved in wildlife conservation. These teenage students had travelled two days by train to come to Bandhava in central India on a wildlife camp. My name is Neil. Wildlife is everything. Wildlife is the reason we are here. Would you like to do something with wildlife in your career? Yes, uh, I wish to do uh, a professional photography career in birds and wildlife. I'm curious, in school, do you learn about wildlife? No. Would you like to see that change? Yes, sure. My name is Sunidhi Kulkarni. Kalyani Kulne. What is your wish? Would you like to do something with wildlife in your I career? I would like to preserve the lions and tigers and all the jungles because they are becoming extinct, all the species. So. Really, the fate of these animals lies in your hands. Are you hopeful? Are you confident that most of the animals you've seen here today will be around, say, for your children? Yeah, because now everyone is interested in wildlife. They really like to see uh, many animals, and they're curious about knowing birds and different kinds of animals. So even we should preserve them. We should try our level best. In the far north of India, another big cat is cause for concern for villagers. While snow leopards don't attack people, it's a lot easier for the big cats to catch calves and goats and go hunting on steep rocky outcrops. Unlike India's well-researched tiger population, relatively little is known about the reclusive big cats in the far north of Ley. Karma Sonam from the Snow Leopard Trust says increasing the natural prey of snow leopards, especially the goat-like burrow, is crucial. In uh, summer, snow leopards prefer to the marmot. Their second prey is the uh, barrel and uh, uriel and the, uh, the ungulates. So yes, um, the spare species is very important. We are trying to increase the prey species in everywhere. So, so we are negotiating with the villagers, communities, and the harder communities to be free than uh, some pasture for uh, prey species so that if the prey species is uh, sufficient uh, for the snow leopard then uh, the snow leopards may not uh, kill the livestock they may not uh, attack because they, they have uh, their own prey species in the uh, in the wild karma took me to visit two goat herders up in the icy foothills of lay as i arrived at the small tents i noticed a goat head on the ground and a dog happily chewing on bones During the night a snow leopard had killed a goat but was scared off before it could drag its prey away. Sometimes when they attack 
they definitely uh, get frustrated and uh, the pelting stone. Their main intention is not to kill, just to frighten them off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, interestingly, they say the snow leopards and kind of our animal is our heritage. Our job is to be conserve this animal. But yeah, they get angry definitely. They uh, when they attack, but uh, they are not uh, intention to kill the, this animal. They never done so far. The Snow Leopard Trust also works with farmers to find ways of keeping snow leopards away from their animals, which are often put in uncovered stone corals, like small stone walls overnight to keep them warm. This also makes them an easy snack for the roaming predators, but efforts to cover corals with wire are working well. Snow leopards are also becoming a big tourist attraction in Leh, but it's a small and reclusive population, so visitors have to be prepared to go bush and for disappointment. Seeing a tiger further south is much more likely, and wildlife safaris are now one of India's biggest money earners. So NGOs and the Indian government are helping communities to capitalise on the work and business opportunities this offers to locals who live near the national parks and reserves. Tourists are a valuable potential market for homemade goods, from clothing and knitting to carvings, incense sticks and candles. I met a woman who trains women in weaving and sewing, and has a shop where they can sell their finished products. I'm Rubjoti Saikya Gagoy from Kaziranga National Park. It's in Golaghat district, Assam. The women, they know how to weave clothes, but they don't have the idea what type of clothes they should weave. So before, I worked as a teacher in school, but in 2004, I gathered the women, I formed different groups, self-help group, and now I am working as a master trainer for handloom, and so that I can tease about the color combination, about patterns, because they need the market. And traditional dresses, people, they don't buy so much because they don't use Mm, yeah, they need modern clothes like table mats or table runners and wall hangings, cushion covers, etc. The women, they don't have good education, but they want to become independent. It is important that they can help their family uh, to maintain the family and at least they are sending their children to the school now. That is great, yeah, because they did not have education, but now the children, they are going to school. They are helping to maintain the family now. Solar technology is transforming lives in villages which are on the fringes of the forests. They don't have access to electricity, so solar-powered water pumps and lights are making a huge difference, as Dr Pandey explains. 26 families sprayed in a stretch of 4 to 5 kilometres along the edge of the park. They had no electricity. So we could see electrical poles, we could see even electrical wire, but there was no electricity. So when we inquired, we found that the, the, the transformer got burnt many years ago but then those were not replaced and repaired, and there is complete dark in that area. So this darkness brings two problems primarily. Number one, the kids, they are not able to study, and in the eastern part of India, it gets dark quite early. By 5 p.m. we have darkness, so their, their kids will not be able to study at night. And the second problem is that because there is darkness all around, it is easy for the poachers to snake into the park to go for rhino poaching and other activity, illegal activities. So 
And we thought that we should we should connect these families with electricity first. We are going into 70 years of independence, so it's a shame that some of the families are still in dark in my country. So we connected those 26 families with solar electricity on 26th January 2016, which is our Republic Day. So when we visited those families at night after the lights were installed, uh, I personally saw kids studying at night. And that, that's a joy that you definitely feel quite a lot. But if we look from conservation point of view, then there, there are enough studies which show that elephants' attack is reduced if there is lights around. So we are going to make an attempt to provide solar street lights. Probably it can help reduce human-elephant conflict at the same time. It will act as a deterrent for the poachers who would be more visible. Another priority is sending mobile medical teams into isolated and poor rural settlements. Illness can lead villagers to rely on forests for wood and grazing, putting themselves and their animals in harm's way. Other current Corbett Foundation projects in central India include digging a massive water reservoir and building small dams to help with irrigation in Bandhava. Deep wells that animals can fall into are being covered, and solar pumps are being used to fill watering holes established in dry national parks. Here, too, young people are being trained in skills like fixing mobile phones so they can make a living in their villages. In Kaziranga, there's also a free animal rescue service for anyone finding a snake in their kitchen, a monitor lizard threatening their chickens, or an animal injured by a passing car. These are just some of the many initiatives throughout India aimed at establishing or maintaining harmony between the nation's people and wildlife. The challenges are immense, but workers in the field, like Dr Naveen Pandey, believe these challenges can be met. Uh, when I look at the students and younger generation throughout this country, because I have travelled widely, I have lived in almost uh, every corner of this country so far, and everywhere I have found people who are compassionate about wildlife, about conservation, and similarly about animals in general. People are very, very kind. And when we look at our legislation, it's very clear. And Indian Wildlife Protection Act is, stands very hard to protect wildlife. So I see no reason not to be optimistic. I'm Lynn Freeman, and that's Insight for this week. If you have any thoughts or want to get in touch, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. That programme was written and presented by Lynn Freeman. It was produced by me, Philippa Tolley. Technical production was by Mark Chesterman. Do explore the Insight page at rnz.co.nz for other editions or head to iTunes and we'd love for you to give us a review and rate us. But for now, thanks for listening.